Um, hey guys, my name is Roger. Welcome to Salt. Uh, like Ronnie said, it's the last one. And this time, like for real, like this is actually the last one. I know we said that before, but we really mean it. Like it's the last one. I uh, really hope you guys have just enjoyed it. Um, the ups and downs, the uh, not being here, just all in online, coming back in, everything that we've done. But I think especially the series that we've done, right? Conversations with Jesus. And I hope just walking through the gospel of John that you guys have just gotten this kind of more complete view of who Jesus is. One who both heals people and one who both cries with people. One who suffers for us and one also who has victory over suffering and, de and death. And so um, today we're gonna be in uh, Psalms 1. And so like speaking of speaking on like reading the Bible, um, that's really what today is going to be about. Um, and if you've re ever read the Psalms, it's a really unique book. It's really different, right, than like the rest of the Bible. Like you read some Psalms and you're like, are they allowed to say this? Like, is this okay? Like literally, like, you know, you read David and he's like crying out. He's like, God, where are you? Like, how dare you? Like, how can you do this to me? And I'm like, can you say this to God? Like, you know, it's this book that's really filled with just realness, like raw emotions, like real questions that we all feel, but you're like, I shouldn't say things like that to God? And they're there. And a lot of them too are like songs and praises that come just from deep within. And what the, psalm what the Psalms try to do, also, I don't know, is it Psalms or Psalm? Psalm, is it psalm, the book of Psalm? Psalms, the book of Psalms, Psalm 1, yes. Literally, even as I was practicing this, I'm like, I still don't know which one it is. All right, we got it. So what we're gonna, the one we're going to be talking about today, right, and in this whole book, what it really tries to do is it tries to get you to understand a deep spiritual truth, but not just like right here by like giving you the facts, but what the book does, it actually tries to connect with you right here, like in your heart, deep within. And I don't mean like literally like your beating heart. But when you see that in the Bible, when you hear people talk like, you know, it's, man, in my heart, deep within, it's like the, the inner parts of you, right? Those real, real parts with you. And so what the book of Psalms tries to do, Psalms, gosh, it's kidding me. All right, what it, what it tries to do is it, it wants you to connect with experiences, with images, with emotions, right here, right? Something you feel, not that you just read and yeah, I get the facts, but no, sometimes he's like, man, I, I know what that's like. Yeah, it's what music and art does, right? Um, we have those songs that we love, like if you use Spotify, like I've loved that like year in review thing, it's like your top song and what you've listened to the most. And it's usually those songs that you, you like and you play all the time. And the reason is a lot of those times, like we, we listen to a song and we're like, yes, like, it, it's able to kind of, like, say a feeling, an emotion, an experience that we, we can relate to and we might not have words to, right? You're like, yes, that's exactly how I felt. Like, that's how I feel. That's why music is so powerful. That's why art, right, is so par powerful. And that's what this book does. And so today we're going to be in, in Psalms 1. Psalm 1, I'm, I'm just going to keep going. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, please uh, take those out. And um, so what, what we're going to do is, I'm gonna, we're going to read through it, and I'm going to give you guys just a second to look at it, right? Because you want to do that with music, with art, with poems, like 
look at it and see, like, what's, what sticks out to you? What words, what images, what sounds, like, what experiences? And then we're just going to break it down together. Like, we're going to look at these, these two stark contrasts that the author wants to give us. And so, if you got your Bibles with you, um, where's my Bible in here? Turn to Psalms 1, please. All right, here we go. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So guys, look at, keep looking at that for me. Like what, what images, like, can you like pick, even picture with your mind, right? Like what words in there like stick out to you? Like which are heavy, which are really relatable? What doesn't make sense? Like what, what is confusing in there as you read that? What people are involved or what, what is he trying to compare? Who is he trying to compare? And what does he really want you to to get like what do you what do you what is the the main message that these this this picture this song is trying to portray as you look at it? And see, I think in this psalm, the the author is trying to answer this answer this question: Why does it matter to have God's word? And what he doesn't do is give us this like 15-page thesis as to why it matters. But he gives us six verses filled with images, right? And he gives us these two characters in it. Did you notice that? Right? He gives us one whose version might say happy or it might say blessed. And it gives us the other character, right? Someone who says is the wicked. And then he gives this imagery, you know, for each side, he begins to lay out this imagery for us. And the real interesting thing is, there's like one thing that differentiates these two, the happy, the blessed, and the wicked. But what we see, we just see the outcome of what it's like to be that person. But there's one distinguishing thing that leads one person to live that way and the other person another way. And so the two things we'll look at is, First, in verses 1 through 3, we'll walk through that together. We'll see the one who has God's word. And in verses 4 through 6, we'll look at the one who doesn't have God's word. And so I'll read verse 1 again. And it says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with, with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. So it starts with this word, happy or blessed, again, whatever translation you might have. And like, 
those words, I feel like, don't super connect with us today. Like, they don't, they don't have a lot of meaning is what I'm trying to say, right? Like, happy is just such a, like, fluff word that it's like, what does that even mean, right? Like, it doesn't really connect or blessed. Like, literally, when I hear the word blessed, the first thing that comes to mind for me is hashtag blessed. Like, that's literally, and I just think of, like, food in an Instagram post or, like, someone's like, oh, like, the cop only gave me a warning, hashtag blessed. Like, that's literally the things that come to mind, like, when I read this. And I know, also, it doesn't have to me. I just got a ticket on my way back to Madison. So not hashtag blessed for me. But that's, like, not the image and the emotion that, that, that the writer's trying to connect with us here, right? Happy and blessed. Just the way our culture has just kind of taken those words is just, like, stuck, stuck them on whatever it wants, right? There's, like, something more rich that he's really trying to get, up, get at by that description of happy or blessed, and you see it by what he surrounds as to why this person is happy is blessed, right? It says this person is happy and blessed because he does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. The image he's really trying to connect with is happy or blessed is it's more of a content, a fulfilled person, right? As he's amongst these things that's going around him, He's saying this person is fulfilled. This person is content, right? He doesn't look at these things going around him, the people who are, are, the sinners are sitting, the other people who are standing, the other people who are walking. He's not going around in envy or desiring whatever's going on around him. He's happy, he's content, he's fulfilled in what he possesses and what he has, right? And look at the progression of how he describes that. Walk, Stand, sit. Does anything stand out to you about that order? Walk, stand, sit. That's a reverse order of progression, right? Of like movement. Like when a baby is born, it becomes like a toddler or a kid. I don't know the right word description. But he doesn't start by walking and then he like learns to like stand and he learns to like sit, right? The natural progression is you sit and you stand stand, and then you walk. See, this happy, this content, this fulfilled person doesn't look at life around them and what others might have or be doing as something they're, like, missing out on, saying, I mean, I wish I had that. Like, I don't like what I have. I wish I had my life look like that. I wish I was involved in that. But rather, he sees those things as a regression of that which is good. Right, he sees those things, he says, man, like, blessed is the one who doesn't go backwards in life. Like, and he tells us why, in verse two, he is able to have this contentment. He tells us why he's able to have this fulfillment, right? We move on to verse two, and it says, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. And I love that starts with that word, instead, Like, guys, Christianity is not a faith of just, like, rejecting good things because we're like, man, we love to be miserable and not have fun. So we just, like, reject everything that people enjoy and have fun. Like, that's not what Christianity is about, right? We reject things that might be okay because there's something better, right? So he says, guy, instead of delighting in those things, he says, instead he delights in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. 
And so my, my version says the Lord's instruction. Yours might say the law of the Lord. Let's clarify what that means, right? Because when I hear that, or at least my first thought, I think like 10 commandments, right? The law of the Lord. It just sounds super formal, right? Or like the Lord's instruction, like, honestly, like for me, a lot of times that's like, oh, that's like the do's and don'ts kind of Christianity, right? Like the things God says you do, the things God says you don't do. That's what the law of the Lord is. That's what the Lord's instruction is. But really, like what that word was originally was just Torah. And what Torah was, was God's word that he had given to his people at this moment in time to know who he was, to know who they were, and to know how they could be in a relationship with him, right? So for us today in 2020, like the, Lord, the, the law of the Lord, the Lord's instruction is what? What is God's word for us? The Bible, right? The, six, the 66 book love letter that God has written literally for us so that we could know who he is, know who we are, and know how we can be in a relationship with him. And what he says he does with this, it says he delights and he meditates on it. So let's be real, right? The word Bible and delight usually are not used together often, right? Those, those don't usually come together in people's sentences, right? Delight and Bible. When we think of delight, we really usually think of stuff that we really enjoy, that it's like an escape for us, right? Something that brings joy, that brings fun, that brings freedom from kind of this, the treadmill that we are on in life where we're just like, you know, having to earn, having to achieve, having to get this grade, having to check in at work. Like, that's just, honestly, like the reality of life is a lot of that mundaneness, right? And what brings delight to us is things that help us step off this like treadmill of life and just like enjoy and be who we are. Right? But what usually happens, like if we're honest with the Bible, it, it becomes just one of those other things that we have to do on the treadmill, right? It's like, okay, one chapter, you click it in like five minutes and like you start, start doing it, right? It's like, I know I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to read the Bible, so like I know I gotta do it, you know? And then you do it and you're like, great, like hopefully I now have God's favor over me and his blessing and his love over me. And then we don't do it, right? It's like, it's like free game. Anybody, anything can go wrong because I didn't read my Bible. Like, I don't have the special protection today, right? It, it misses out what it was meant to be. I've been reading this Advent book um, by this guy named Scott Erickson. He's just like an artist, and like, I, I really love the way he's just made me look at just the Christmas season really differently. And he said something about um, this that really stuck out to me. And here's what he said. He said, Rhythms, rituals, and practices, like reading the Bible, become not a remembrance that we are loved, but the very accomplishable works to earn back love. A religion based on trying to earn love inevitably fails because works can never truly heal the fear of being left alone because of your real. At some point, you just want to be loved for your real the actual state of the matter of you. So he's saying these rituals, these practices, these rhythms that God has given us, like reading our Bible, they were meant to be a remembrance that we are loved. Right? We're supposed to pick up this Bible and remember, wow, God loves us. Like he literally orchestrated thousands of years of history 
so that we could have this, so we could actually know who he is. Like, we don't have to guess. We don't have to do palm readings. Like, it's right there. He's, he literally orchestrated thousands of years of history for us. It's supposed to be meant to be, again, this act of where we remember that we are loved. But he says instead of what it becomes, it becomes a way that we accomplish and, and receive and earn love. It's like, okay, God, I checked off the box. I read the Bible. But we see that this happy, this content, this fulfilled, this blessed person, he delights over it. Right? And not only does he delight, it says he meditates on it. And that's another word for me. When I hear meditate, I think of yoga, literally, first thought. I know pretty much almost nothing about yoga, but I know there's times there's the humming, there's sounds, there's like smell, just, it's not that, I know that. <laughs> I know very little about yoga, but I know this is not what this is saying, right? The idea of meditation here, and I want you to roll with me here, all right? This is like either like I'm really gonna land or completely miss, but um, <laughs> does anyone know what the word ruminate means? Good, I didn't, so I found out recently, right? So the idea of to ruminate means to like, to think of something like and process it a lot. And the example that dictionary gave me was that a goat ruminates when it chews grass, right? If you've ever seen a goat, they're just always like, I'm gonna make weird mouth sounds, so I'm not gonna do it, but they're just like chewing, right? Like nonstop. They're always chewing. And they're just, that's all they do, they just chew, chew, chew. They eat everything, right? And they just chew, chew, chew. And that's the idea of like the meditation here is the idea of this person that just like sits, processes, thinks, thinks more, looks at it again, right? I mean, like that could not be, I would say, more different than the usual um, plan for reading the Bible, right? Um, the usual plan is often like, either you're just like flipping and whatever your finger lands, it's like, God, speak to me, boom, right? Or it's, you open it up, you read a chapter, and you're like, man, I, I don't really know what this is saying. And we close it and like, we stamp it as like boring or not be able to be understood, really far removed from where we are in life or how it applies to us. And that's it. And like we, we, we put this stamp on it as like the Bible's boring. It doesn't really make sense. I don't understand it, right? And the reality is, guys, like most things we do in life, we're not great at it and experts the moment we first do it, right? I mean, pretty much nothing in life, I would say. Like it takes time, right? It takes like A, figuring out how do you do this? B, it takes help. Like other people that help you how to do this See, it just takes time and focus. It actually takes time to want to learn to do that. And I think something we really miss out on, honestly, in like our life in Christianity today is that our faith is super individualistic. It's like me and reading my Bible, me and my time focused, right? And then we gather here like once a week. And like at Salt, we want to be more than that guys, we really want to be a community, right? So like we have salt on Thursdays and then we have connection groups that meet throughout the week and we want more than that. Like we want this to be actually a real community where you actually are reading the Bible and you're like ruminating together, you're right? You're reading something, you're like, hmm, mm, yeah, I see like God's character in that. Somebody's like, hmm, I see his love in that, you know? And you're just like, you're actually like processing these things together 
Because all of us, like literally, God created all of us to be different. And I'm fascinated by that. And sometimes I'm annoyed by that because I don't understand people super well because they're not like me. But it's really good that they're not like me. But the beautiful thing is, like, we're meant to see this incredible, infinite God in his word and build one another up and say, but wait, do you see that? I say, wait, I, I didn't see that. Like, that's really cool. In my Advent book that I've been reading, he has, like, a picture that he draws, and I've been sending it to Mitchell and Matt, and I'm like, what do y'all see here? Because I'm, like, super interested to, and they've literally seen different things, and I'm like, huh, yeah, I didn't think about that. Like, yeah, it could definitely mean that. Like, and that's, that's, that's literally a way where we can, guys, just delight and meditate together. But it takes time, and it takes effort. And literally, there's so many things in our lives that just, like, want to distract us, right? Like, it's so, our phone is literally right there. That's my biggest struggle. It's just my phone. And I, like, put it on silent, and I'm like, wait, maybe I missed the message. And it's like, that's the point of silent, right? <laughs> it's like, come on, man. But I got literally, I'm like, maybe it's urgent. Like, this is the one time somebody's going to send an urgent message to me. It's like, it's going to happen while it's on silent, right? But we got to fight for it. Right? we got to fight for what matters. And this is what we see this person do. Right? And then he, he gives us this image of a, a flourishing tree. Right? He says, He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Right? And I pictured, I don't know what you guys pictured as you heard that. Like I pictured literally this like beautiful like oak tree, I don't know if it's an oak tree, it's just the first tree that came to mind, but there's like beautiful tree and there's like beautiful stream next to it. And it's like, you know it's gonna live forever because it's literally been rooted next to the very thing that can sustain its life forever, right? And this happy, blessed, content, fulfilled person, right, they've become rooted in the thing that can sustain their life for whatever comes, right? God's word, that person's delight, that person's meditation, it will sustain them for whatever comes. Because that tree that's planted next to that water, whatever season comes, he's good, right? He can be sustained by what he has rooted himself in. One who has God's word, if you root yourself in God's word, it will hold you for whatever comes. You will be shaken, like you'll lose a lot of leaves, like, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to hold you for whatever comes. We also see that this flourishing tree, it goes through seasons, right? I think a really big misconception in Christianity is like you become a Christian and it's kind of like no bad vibes at all. Like life is just good. And honestly, like I genuinely felt like that's what I thought Christianity was supposed to be. And then when I actually finally started reading the Bible, I was like, wait, that couldn't be more opposite. Because life for everybody, whatever, whatever you believe, life is going to be tough. Like, it just is. That's just a given. You don't get to decide that. Life is tough. The only thing we get to decide is what are you going to stand on when life's toughness comes? What is the thing you're going to stand on and say, this is my hope, this is what I believe in, this is what will get me through? That, that's what we get to decide on, right? And we see this tree that's rooted in God's word, he can go through every season, right? And some seasons are awesome, and it's bearing fruit, and everybody enjoys that, right? And there's some that he's just being nourished, 
right? And he's receiving nourishment and learning and growing. And there's some that he's got to weather the winter and the storm, right? But that tree is still flourishing. Like no tree is meant to literally bear fruit 24-7. That's not it. The same is true for the Christian life. Guys, there's seasons, really awesome, fruitful seasons, really great seasons of learning and nourishment, and really hard seasons. But it's, what are you rooted on? What is actually going to hold you to that? You guys, if you're going through a tough time right now, it doesn't mean God's not for you. It doesn't mean he's left you. It doesn't mean you've done something wrong, right? The third thing we see about this tree is that it says, in whatever it does, it will prosper. That's another one, I think, just how do we define, like, something being prosperous? Again, that's another one that, guys, at least for me, like, prosperous was always having victory over sin, always doing everything right, always reading my Bible and loving the heck out of it. That's just not what real life is like, at least not for me. I don't, for most people I've talked to, everyone I've talked to, that's not it, right? To prosper, for this tree to prosper would be it survives, right? It, it bears fruit, it continues to grow. That's the same is true for the Christian life, to hold fast to our faith, to continue to grow and learn, right? to bear much fruit. That's what it means, guys, to prosper in the Christian life. And now we see the second part of this song, this poem, in verses four through six. I'll read that for us. He says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Look at verse three and four as you're looking down at that. Just look at those two. Does anything stand out to you about those two verses? They're kind of the, they're both the, the, the kind of like the most descriptive part of the wicked and the happy person. What stands out to you about those two descriptions? If you caught it, one is way longer and descriptive than the other, right? Something about poetry or song, right? It's meant to be read out loud and heard. And so as we're reading this, right, you read three, verse three, and it's like this tree, and it's, it's bearing fruit, and it's by streams of water. Its leaf does not wither. It goes through the seasons. Whatever he does prospers. It says the wicked are like this. They're like shaft that the wind drives away. And you're supposed to hear that, and that silence of like such a small description of the wicked, is supposed, it's, it's supposed to stand out. Right, that there's not much to it. Right, and describes it as, as chaff. Right, that's another thing, I didn't really know what it was. But right, it's, it's like the leftover from the crops. Right, like the, the leftover from the corn. If, if you mow grass, that dried grass, it's just, there's nothing really to it. Right? It's not really alive anymore, but it's still there. And it's just driven by the wind, wherever it goes. Right? Wherever the wind decides to blow, it's pushed that way. It has literally no root for anything. 
And guys, this life, this world, it's going to try to push you wherever the heck it wants. If you are not rooted in something that can actually hold you, like, life is going to be really tough. Again, the only thing we get to decide is what do we stand in? Where are we rooted in? You know? Um, I'm a big Hamilton fan, right? And as I was like, yes, we got, maybe I got a fisting. But as I was like thinking through this, I literally thought about the line where he tells Aaron Burr, he says, if you stand for nothing, Burr, what will you fall for? When you don't have anything that you stand up and believe in, you'll fall for anything. You'll literally fall for anything. And that's the idea of this chaff, it's just being blown everywhere with nothing to hold it, with nothing to really believe on, with nothing to really hope and stand on. And then it tells us, it says, therefore the wicked will not stand up in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. And again, it just gives us really stark differences. It shows us that the righteous are assembling and they're together, there's this community it says the wicked are not there. Those who don't have God's word, they're isolated, right? Guys, if you're a Christian, you have the most uniting thing in your life, Jesus Christ. Whatever race, ethnicity, what background, it doesn't matter. If you're in Christ, that is the greatest thing you can be united in, right? The, the greatest thing you can be united in but when we don't have something like Jesus, because there's nothing like him, to unite us, we're fighting over everything, right? We're fighting over everything because everyone's literally just trying to earn, to prove, to stand up, to take root in who they are, but they don't know who they are. They're just being driven back and forth by the wind. And he ends it with, you know, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. And if you look at it, right, it starts with, the second word of this is happy or blessed. And the last word is it's ruin. Stark difference, right? And we hear that the one who has God's word says the Lord watches over that, the righteous over that person. And not a, a watching over, like just waiting for that person to do something wrong so he'd be like, ah, got you, right? That's like not that watching over, but like a loving watching over. I have a nephew who's awesome, but also very hard to be with sometimes because he's just crazy, right? And when I thought about this idea of like watching over him, like I just remember when, you know, when he was younger, I used to watch over him and he was just kind of sneaky. So I'd like be like, all right, make sure you don't do this. You know, and I just like stand at the corner of the door and I just like kind of peep, make sure he like, I keep him alive. Like that's literally the one thing my sister asked me to do, but I'm just caring for him right? I'm just making sure, right, he's okay. And this idea of God watching over the righteous, those who have God's word, as a loving father who's just there to guide, to move over here, say, no, 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 don't go that way, right? To pat in the back, say, man, I love you. I'm for you. He says the wicked are not, those who don't have God's word, he says they're not like this. You want to take their own path. You're the, the, right? And we get all these cool quotes, right, of like, you make your own future. You decide everything you want in life. You're in control of, of everything. And 
It's like, I don't want to be in control of everything, right? And it says, and that path leads to ruin. So guys, just to close, these two images, the happy, blessed person, and we see this flourishing tree, we see community, we see purpose, we see care. And we see the one who doesn't have God's word. And we get this image of a withering chaff, we see isolation, we see individuality to a fault, and it ends in ruin. And so my, my question for you tonight is, like, guys, do you, do you have God's word? And I don't mean, like, do you own a Bible? Do you have the app? Like, like I mean, like, do you have God's word? Do you cherish it? Do you know it? Do you read it? Like, do you value it? Or, or is it just like a checklist that you know you're supposed to do it? You, you, you honestly feel like, why does it matter, though? Right? And I think the best way, honestly, to really answer that question, because we're not great at having realistic opinions about ourselves. We're not. Um, what does your life look like? Like, does your life look like a flourishing tree? Are you bearing fruit in your life? Is the gospel moving out in your life? Are you, are you being nourished? Are you learning? Are you growing? Or can you look back in your life six months, a year from now, and be like, dude, I'm the same person, if not worse. Like, and do people look at you and they see a, a flourishing tree? Or is it the first wind, the first challenge, the first curveball life throws at you, man, you're just tossed way off like a chaff that has no root? That's a real test, Right? When life hits you, what happens? Are you rooted? You're going to shake, right? Like, trees shake. <laughs> but are you, are you rooted and can you stand in those moments because of God's word? Because you know who he is and who you are in him. Or when those things come, are you just rocked every time, just side to side because there's nothing to really hold you. There's not a truth. There's not a real hope that you believe in. Again, in here. Not in here. I know for the most of us, like, we know God is real, we know he loves us, we know we're for him, but, like, do you actually believe that in here? Right? Do you actually believe that in your heart? God wrote a book. That reality blows me away every time I stop to think about it. Pages and pages of God. His thoughts, his words, his heart, right there, just a few inches away. I can carry it with me wherever I go, read it whenever I want. When we open the Bible, what do we see? We see God himself in his book. We meet him here, but we don't meet him at all, not with any hope of friendship. Reading the Bible is one of the most important things we could ever do. It's more valuable than anything we own, sweeter than anything we have ever eaten. It is literally more important than breathing. But that's not always what we see and feel when we open the Bible. Our weak, tired, distracted eyes look, and all we see is a lifeless, boring portrait on the wall. 
but it's not a portrait. It's a window. It doesn't hang lifeless in an old frame on the wall. It breaks through the wall into another world, the real world, the lasting world, the better world. And through this window shines a divine light that changes everything around us. At the root, the reason we don't read the Bible is that we don't want to read the Bible. We don't see joy, peace, and life when we see the leather binding on our shelf. We see a wall, not a window. The boring portrait, not the never-ending beauty beyond. So we put it off, we leave it shut, and we move on. We stay in bed, and we miss the miracle. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, loves to speak light into our hearts and minds. God wrote a book. And with his book, these words in front of us, he wakens our dead, bored souls. He frees us from bondage to sin, from desires that rob us of life. He comforts the depressed, inspires the discouraged, guides the confused. He empowers us to make our lives count for his cause in the world. He satisfies us completely and forever with words, his words. So will I read my Bible tomorrow? Where else would I go to meet him? How else will I know him? How else will I prepare myself to enjoy him forever? Yes. I'll spend the rest of my life looking out this window, watching, waiting for another sight of him, another miracle, another glimpse of my God. Close your eyes and bow your heads with me. God, we need you. God, we need your help. It's like, actually, just believe all of that, like, in our inner being, not just in our minds, but to, like, actually really believe in a way that changes what we do. God, help us see the Bible not just as a picture in a wall that we could stare at for a few seconds and then it's, we're done. Help us see a window full of life, full of hope, full of joy. For God, where else can we see you if not there? God, how else can we know you if not there? God, we're broken, we're lost, and we just need you. Give us the capacity to be like the man who's happy and blessed and fulfilled because he delights and meditates on your word. God, make us those people. We, we can't do it. We literally cannot just create that in ourselves. We need you. 
God, please help us.